Greetings, Trinitarians. This podcast is possible partly because of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana. If you're interested in beginning your theological academic journey at Trinity, contact us at trinitysem, that's trinitysem.edu today. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is... Jonathan Pritchett. And today is the cleanup episode, where we finish off everything that we left on the table from season eight. Mm-hmm. That's right, Jonathan. Are you ready for this? It's the season eight finale of Trinity Radio. So it's here's- not heresy. It's come on. No, it's Harris son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this is... I... I I was... not impressed. (laughs) I've never heard of this gentleman before, but... And there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers, that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. All right, so just like network television, each season is 22 episodes. This is the 22nd episode, but we'll probably not have to wait till September before we give you season No, it'll probably be next week. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We're not planning on taking a long hiatus like we did last winter, uh, and we're not planning on taking an unannounced hiatus like we have done periodically throughout the history of this program. Yes. We're not um, uh, Don Johnson. At this point, I'm not sure why we even separate this into seasons, except that I want there to kind of be a little bit of a theme for the seasons, and... This season was the Wyma episodes, the Wyma series overwhelmingly. Now, that does not mean that we're not going to do any more Wyma episodes. We probably will do them less frequently. Of course, that's unless yeah. the ratings begin to tank, and then we're going to do all <laughs> Wyma all the time, right. okay? But, uh, but, but the Wyma series was great this season. Uh, but today we're going to try to do two things, Dr. Pritchett. Three. We are going to at least do these two things. We're going to cover questions and answers in the second episode where we together have done that. And I'm going to dub this season finale as the first official episode of the Answer Finders series. And it can't be anything else. You can't yeah. change the name because I've already made graphic design. Okay. The Answer Finders series. Because we at Trinity Radio believe you may not be able to be an answer giver today, but you can be an answer finder by coming to places like Trinity Radio and getting the answers to give skeptics and people who have questions in your life. Yeah, and hopefully you like finding answers enough that you want to eventually give them and you enroll in Trinity College of the Bible Theological Seminary and get your degree. You, Yeah, you can be an answer giver one day. And you might be, I know we have a lot of answer givers who listen to this show, but you can at the very least be an answer finder in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, but I concur with Dr. Pritchett, you need to talk to us about taking courses so we're going to do that, and then we're also going to talk about what we learned, if we have time, what we learned from the Wyma series. For those that don't know, what I mean when I say the Wyma series is, throughout this season, we began and continued uh, a series where we would take people on the internet who are explaining why they are something, why I'm a, uh, an agnostic, why I'm a Mormon, why I'm a Muslim, why I'm a Scientologist, and that has been a lot of fun. And... What we've done is respond in videos to those things and then to slide that video into their comment stream and say, hey, we've made a friendly response to to what you've said here. We've seen people saved. We've seen many conversations. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what we've learned about other worldviews and about apologetics. Uh, reaching and evangelism through that series. So that's that's namely what I want to conquer today. Yeah. Now, it, for sake of time, if you're a new patron, forgive me. I, I'm not going to read the patrons list today, okay? But we value every... Oh, dadgummit, I'll read the patrons list. Yes, we, need to, we need to read the patrons list. Yeah. Annette Burns, Armin Jacob Paulson, Austin Eakin, Austin Long, Benjamin Fogler, or Fogler, uh, Billy Wendelin, Boydria Gonzalez, Brandon Nicholson, Brian McNulty, Brian Roden, 
uh, Anonymous, Eleanor Meadows, Ernest George Strauss III, Ian Buchanan, John E. Miller Jr., John Acrylo, Josh, Josh Stribling, Kendra Buck, Kurt Jaros, Paul Wayne Sims, Robert Gillier, Scott McCauley, Second Yang, Steve Fraley, and William Schroeder. I love all those people. I do too. Wonderful people. And and a good ch- chunk of those are on the Trinity uh, TCOM. It's a Marco Polo. A Marco group. Polo, yeah. I mean, Which is video walking. If you're a patron, you can actually be a part, you know, well, if you're just cool, because uh, I don't think they're all. If you ask us, you'll probably be on there. Right. You, okay. You, I mean, you, you have to do something dangerous, like send me your phone number so I can add you to the group and you have to download the Marco Polo app. But then, And, and then you, you know, can talk to Dr. Pritchett face to face. You can say, why did you say this really mean thing on last week's episode? It hurt my feelings. And then you can hear his very sympathetic yeah, you can join, response. You can join my wife in that <laughs> in that endeavor uh, because she she always gets on to me believe it or not about the show yeah pray for her does she get on she to me ever no I've said even some, when you even when you're yeah. at your worst it's like <laughs> still eh. nicer than you right that's uh, yeah she gets on to me every now and then all right well she says nice things at too, the very but least she does get on to me at the very least sometimes. you can go to the Facebook group um, Trinity Radio Primetime Discussion and talk with us. There's an ongoing discussion. Just yesterday, yeah. someone said, you know what I love about this group? I always learn something when I come in here. Yeah. And so you want to be like that. And if you already think you know everything, that's fine. Dr. Pritchett yeah. thinks he knows everything. But what I, you can no, do... I don't. I don't. And and that's what, because... Uh, well, I'll, I'll explain why I don't think I know everything. I, I, I know what I know, but I don't know everything. And I'll explain why as we talk about what we learned this season because I actually did learn some things. Um, but... If you haven't been to Trinity Radio Primetime Discussion Group, wonderful discussion group. It is the least hostile Facebook group I've ever been a part of. Wouldn't you agree with that? Um, mm-hmm. I've tried to have... I said that just the other day on there. Yeah, I've tried to have other Facebook groups. I started a Facebook group that was pretty cool for a while, and then I eventually just left the... my. I think the group is still going, but I don't think much happens there anymore because I left. Oh, I finally left that group. Yeah, and I it was like something I started, and it got so horrible. You know who you are. We yeah. have listeners who yeah, are still in know, there. Yeah, uh, but, but Remember this, to tell them to write songs about the old days right. with uh, Hunter and Pritchett but this leading Facebook, the charge. Yeah, but this Facebook group, Unlike another Trinity Commission's Facebook group that I won't name, um, Soteriology 101, ours is a friendly place. Yeah, but see, you need both. Some people want the red meat. Now, they need to repent of that, but some people do want the red oh, meat. Oh, no, we give red and meat. They, it's just everyone's cool. They they laugh it off. They're like, yeah. oh, there's Pritchett again. Yeah. You know, whatever. But, um, yeah, yeah. So, by the way, speaking of um, sister podcasts, you need to check out um, the Bible Brodown, who also has a very friendly uh, Facebook group. Uh, and they've got their own Marco Polo group. And then you've got The Narrow Path with Steve Gregg. You've got Stereology 101 with Leighton Flowers. All of them connected to the Trinity Commission. All of them connected to Trinity College of Bible Theological okay. Seminary, where we're okay. building our little right. social media empire. And remember to like, comment, and subscribe this video. Uh, yeah. And if you're listening online, uh, you can always give as well at the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Trinity Radio. For those watching, just click somewhere up here uh, in this corner of the screen. All right, let's jump right into the Answer Finders. Here we are. It's the Answer Finders series. Let's hope it's as successful as the Wyma series has has been. Um, are you excited? Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you really excited? I'm excited. No. How about this first question? Well, it will get you excited. Okay. What book, aside from the Bible, has been most influential in your, these are questions that have come to us from listeners, okay. has been most influential in your Christian life so far, and what book are you looking forward to? So, Death is a Doorway, I'm assuming for you. Um, I, actually, that, core facts. I have said it a million times, Death is a Doorway is my, by far <laughs> Chronicles my favorite. Chronicles of the Adonai. Is by far my favorite Braxton Hunter book. But it's not. It it's not the best book ever, right? Not, okay. No. no, I mean, what significant book? Mine would be uh, "Honor, Patronage, Purity, and Kinship" by David really? Silva. Would be the one book other than the Bible that changed my whole focus on everything that I would do in life. Huh. Um, as far as you know, what other, because I read that in the early two thousands, and. I was interested in apologetics by that point, but not necessarily into like what your video is about, you know, really learning the Bible. But that book got me to really become interested in the New Testament again. And I found that book, by by the way, just doing apologetics, 
yeah. and reading stuff on apologetics from uh, the Tekton site that JP uh, Holding does. Mm -hmm. And he referenced that a lot. And I was like, this stuff is really awesome. Yeah. And so when I read that book, it changed everything that I thought about the New Testament. It, it, um, it started moving me out of Calvinism, too, mm. because I started looking at the New Testament from that social science perspective. And that cultural, you started being concerned with what these words actually meant yeah. in the first century, not what they meant in uh, in in the Reformation. Right, and right. so when, once I started down that rabbit hole, I realized some years later that, well, I'm not really the Calvinistic dispensationalist of my youth, so I can't really identify with that. Mm -hmm. um, so I just stopped. It, it, so that book really, and then of course, now all I do is read evangelistic you know, apologetics. No. I have Dang read Evangelist Apologetics. It. It's not as good as Death is a Doorway. Pastor, I have a question. My, my father. Uh, I, well, I read all of his books before I read all of your books. Just <laughs> yeah. to, you know. Well, I mean, he was president at the time that right. I got here, so he was more important <laughs> yeah, than you. Yeah, yeah, what know. does the guy, what does this guy Don't say? Don't bite the hand yeah. that feeds you, right? Right. Um, okay. But yeah, that was the book besides the Bible that turned me on to what I would be doing in most of my biblical uh, academic career. Right on. So I'd have to say that book. For me, I'd have to say uh, The Gospel of John, commentary by F.F. F. Bruce. Mm. I don't even know if I agree, because it's been several years ago. I don't yeah. know where I stand on particulars of it, but I remember that when I finished that, sitting in a Starbucks in West Nashville, I had tears in my eyes. That is how powerful. If a commentary can bring you to tears, yeah. That's pretty good, and it it was because of the whole feed my sheep thing, right? You know, right toward the end, it really messed me up. But that commentary, I encourage you. It's not very long, and you can you can read through it in a couple of sittings, maybe one sitting, depending on how fast you read. And it was life changing for me. That that book. Um, Dude, this is something about you that I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we're you've learning. Never, yeah, you've our relationship said, is deepening. Right, right here on <laughs> Trending Ready. Yeah, well, you've never place. said that to me. Yeah, I think probably that. Uh, after that, Case for Christ. Boring. Yeah, the Case you know. for Christ will always have a place. My dad... Not, not the Case for Christ is boring, yeah. that people have heard me say that enough. Yeah. I have know. to say that the Case for Christ is a book that my dad brought with him along with uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell because I was having questions about my faith. And my dad really, he wasn't into apologetics or whatever, mm -hmm. but he knew enough to go find something that he thought that would be good for me. Uh, to help me deal with these issues. And so the case for Christ was uh, newer. No offense, to, it, newer is not always better. It's not a, not a statement about Josh McDowell's book. It's a statement about how my mind worked, you know, at that time period where it was like, well, this is newer. So, I mean, that's my bad. You right, know? right. But right. I don't know that it's necessarily better. But my dad said, here, read one of these. These will answer those kinds of things that you're talking about. I don't know how to help you. Uh, and so Case for Christ would probably be my second runner-up because while it didn't necessarily change the whole nature of what I would be doing for the rest of my life, it did get me back on track. Yeah. So that's very important too. So. Well, I, I think in addition to that, if I could add and, one and more. And spawned the only Christian movie I've ever liked. <laughs> so. uh, but the but for the for the ministry side of apologetics, I th and this will be strange, but I think Jerry Walls and Scott R. Burson's C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer colon uh, lessons for a new century from the most influential apologists of our time. Yeah. That book is unbelievably good, and I recommend it. C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer. Um, so so go check that out by Jerry Walls. So all right. Um, so that's question number one. Let's move on from that. We got we got stuff to get through. Mm -hmm. What topics need to just stop being talked about, if any, and which topics need to be addressed more? Now he gives some examples: theology, apologetics, cultural understanding, ancient Near East or Second Temple period, or social justice. Um, it's a very quick answer for me. I don't think we ought to stop talking about any of those issues. Yeah, I mean. Theology, of course, we keep talking theology. I know what we need to stop. Apologetics, about. of course. In honor of in honor of um, uh, the Fourth of July, this is Fourth of July time of year. Um, you know what we need to stop talking about? Dumb debates about should Whether we you have, should a have American <laughs> flag and pledges and and patri patriotics. 
this thing bugs me to no end because if you have a flag, they call you an idolater because you have a flag in your thing. Yeah. It's like I read some comments from my free will debate. Because I believe that free will exists, the first comment that I read, uh, somebody said, will worshiper says blah, blah, blah. He was talking about me in the debate. I was like, because I believe you're the this, will worshiper. Yeah, and that's the kind of rhetoric that the 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 two people that we debated w- would use on their little Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And, and so, because I believe something, I believe that that you can't see it; it's off camera. But I believe that that lighting rig exists. But that doesn't mean that I worship it. Right. But I will defend its existence because right. it's part of reality, just like I think libertarian free will is part of reality. And it's the same thing. If you have American flag, all of a sudden you worship that flag because it's in church. That's absurd. Well, it's a little more than that. And, and, and this, should you have, I'm with should you, you have fireworks no, no, going no, off no. in the sanctuary? I, Probably I'm, not. I'm, this, with, I'm with you in that yeah. there's kind of a point to be made on both sides, but everybody just needs to chill out. The point on the one side is this is an, an arena of worship. Mm-hmm. And you're bringing a symbol of your, the nation into it. What kind of a message does that send? And are the boundaries clear? I get that point. On the other hand, the the church has for decades and decades in American history been the third place. You know, yeah. you had home, you had work, and then you had the third place. The third place being church. Now, yeah, social it was a media civic has, center. yeah, social media yeah. has replaced that, and civic centers have replaced that, yeah. and other stuff. But it was a third place, and so it was meaningful to to uh, to bring into that place things that were meaningful to that local family. And if a guy had fought in combat or something, you know, and or, or you had a family member who died or something, it was meaningful to have something yeah. like that there. And I, crucify me, I don't think that that's the end of the world. No, and if okay? part of our priestly vocation is to gather up the the praises of creation and offer them back to God, uh, as last I checked, America is part of creation. Um, yeah, you shouldn't go over the top with it, but look, God ordains the borders of nations. God ordains the, the, the span of nations and how long that they will endure. Uh, and if God blesses the nation, be well, I don't, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's kind of like Steve Gregg said when he taught for us the first time, he's like, you know, t- t- reading some of the old Testament passages about, uh, uh, God will bless the nation whose God is the Lord. And he's yeah. like, well, uh, that was that, you know, does that apply to America in some sense? Well, uh, some, maybe it does, uh, because we have experienced a great deal of blessing. But then on the other hand, maybe it doesn't because there's a lot of people in America who certainly aren't thinking right. of God. So maybe we're partly blessed and partly cursed. Uh, or maybe that's not what this is talking about. You know, no, it's, but it's a whole it, there's, difficult thing. There's still thing. principles that you can derive from both testaments. Sure, scripture. sure. So, so I read um, Russell Moore saying that the you know things you know passages in the Old Testament about you know if my people will call on my name and blah you know well that doesn't apply to America. No, but there's an underlying what is hermeneutics about? There's an underlying principle there. Yes, that was for the nation of Israel. But so what? It's the same God. Are you, are, yeah, is God not going? God doesn't want us to fall on our face and and, and repent and turn to Him and, and right. He definitely know. wants all those things. Right, and you certainly he doesn't hate people. To, he doesn't yeah. hate his people and ready. He doesn't take pleasure in their death. So it seems like you know he might want to heal their land and bless them if they. You know. But he doesn't have to. He's he doesn't God, have to. Whatever. Right. But at the same time, let's not act like okay. There's no. This is completely irrelevant now yeah. to us. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this stuff I drives agree. me nuts, and so. Yeah, I don't believe that you should worship America, but I don't think most people who stand up and say the pledge on Fourth of July in church see that's are what I think America. it is. I think it's a I think it's a lot of people, and I understand the sentiment. I I feel it. I get it. But it's yeah. this idea that, and the, and it's why a bunch of people at the SBC booed at Mike Pence when he spoke there and all that. It's this desire to so reject the view that Jesus is going to come back with blonde hair and blue eyes wrapped up in the American flag with AK-47s, yeah. you know, Second Amendment man. Right. I get it. There, There is, that is right, a caricature that we don't ascribe to, and, and and that's not, Jesus is not the property of America. And we, we get that, and there is a difference. But here's what I think. I think it is. I think they do. I do think they have a point I about the American saying- flag in the service. But I think the other guys have a point that, chill out, you know? Right. And I think everybody just should chill out about right. this. Right, so these kinds of things, the, this kind of thing, evangelistic methodology, I'm happy when any evangelism is being done. This debate needs to go away. I've said this for years. So some knucklehead stuff about 4th of July services drives me nuts. Uh, if it's idolatrous, rebuke it. But most in most 
churches, it's not. Settle down. I agree with you on both what you said. Yes, it could be potentially a problem, but most often it's not, so shut up. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, this evangelistic methodology, it just won't die. And it needs the, the sinner's altar prayer, calls except, altar call. That, yeah, that somebody debate. just said to me this yeah. week, a person I really like, and I'm not picking at him, but it, it presented an opportunity to talk about this. Yeah. And he's like, but it could give altar calls, for example, could give people the impression that it's like confession and they go up and they say their thing and then, you know, they can go away and they've done their thing, you know, or that now I've gone forward and I've done this and now I don't have to worry about growing in Christ and all that. Here's the thing about that. So could me having a friendship with you and having confession with you as a brother in Christ, which I should do, right. and open up about my sins and talk with you. Oh, now I settled that. Now, everything you could say about the altar call, you could say about that. The solution is not do away with these things. The solution is uh, preach the truth about the context of those now, things. Now, this thing has a history to it, so I'm going to run down the history real quick. Okay. Um, and then I'll make some Somehow comments. I feel like we're saying nothing about the question that was asked. <laughs> well, no, this thing, what needs, to go, what needs yeah, to go away? What needs to go away? Ian Murray started making complaints about Billy Graham crusades and that, mm -hmm. that, that whole approach, decision-based uh, conversion and... and, and Decisional evangelism. Right. Um, and I think that he was being honest... I still also think some years later, Paul Washer picked up that thread, and he made a case, and I want to believe that he was not quite, but still somewhat sincere about it. And yeah, I don't I mostly parroted, mostly par parroted Murray. These guys are wrong; they're not evil, right? You know. Now, but here's where Prime's going to come. Okay. Then you get people like David Platt and. Uh, J.D. Greer and all this stop asking Jesus into your heart and and David Platts ran on that video about it was all of the verbiage and none of the sincerity. It was just out of nowhere uh, ranting to stir, kick up some dust and he completely parroted Ian Murray, completely parroted Paul Washer and as much as we've said he's probably one of the most spiritual human beings on the planet, that was shallow, it was lame, it was just it was just for attention, and it was It was grandstanding silly. to a certain base, is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah, and once again, just like it did with Murray, certainly did with Platt, and definitely did, or, or Washer, and definitely did with Platt, it kicked a grown folk conversation about the problem of nominalism and lack of discipleship in the church, which happens in all churches, Reformed, Evangelical, Protestant, Mainline. Nominalism is everywhere. And instead of having a grown-up conversation, once again... You know, th that was the concern. These people don't really stick with the faith and blah, blah, blah. And they get false trips yeah. and all that. Yeah. But you know what? That's not a methodology problem. Right. That's, that's, that's a discipleship problem. Anyway. It could happen anyway. And instead of having, for the third time, instead of having a grown-up conversation, yeah. uh, Murray, Washer, and at the worst has been now with social media being what it is these days, Platt, kicked yeah. off another mindless, stupid conversation about evangelistic methodology when any evangelism would be welcome at this point. But especially for his and your Southern Baptist Convention, which is tanking like the rest yeah, of them. Yeah, amen. So, so again, I, I'm all for having a grown-up conversation, so when you guys are done ranting about sinners' prayers and asking Jesus well, in your they heart did. and all they, that they, stuff, they, they, when you guys shut up... They walked it back Well, the next they kind of walked it back, you know? but their minions well, on the internet true. are still bringing this crap up. But I'm not thinking about that is like... you are ready to have a grown-up conversation... You're absolutely right that, yeah. like, yeah... You're going to get false converts anyway. It all goes yeah. back to, you know what? Now, th people roll their eyes at this kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. If someone asked me, and I'm not the first to say this, this goes all the yeah. way back to Charles Finney. Yeah, Charles Finney. This goes all the way back to Charles Finney. That evil doer. Aston Hill Nettleton was asking, do yeah. you think that half of your, do you, wouldn't you say that not all of the people that make professions of faith really became true Christians? And he said, yeah, I think it's actually probably less than that. He said, would you say 50%? Probably less than that. 25%? Yeah, maybe. 25%. He's like, but I had 800 people that made professions of faith uh, this you know, this past meeting that I had. So that's a whole lot more. 25% is a whole lot more than whatever these other guys are doing. Right. You know, it's you like doing? your dad said, yeah. I'd like how I do do it better than the way you don't do it or whatever. Well, that's a paraphrase. <laughs> oh, okay. well, <laughs> that's whatever. the version without yeah. the D word. Without doo-doo in it. Yeah, right. it's not, I like the... 
do do I do? I don't know. Anyway, the no, bottom it, line. It's the, the, the way I do it is. Better than the way you're not D-A-M-N, doing it. D-A-M-N, sure, better than the way you're not doing it Oh, okay. It well, yeah. do do was better in them because mm-hmm. it's a PG word. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, well, Dam is in the King James Bible, so I, should, yeah, can, I feel silly can, yeah. for having no. spelled it. But my dad said that in a wonderful speech called uh, Eagles and Buzzards. Um, I should really clean up the audio of that. It was, I have an MP3 from an old cassette tape and put that on Trinity Ray. It's a wonderful speech. I wish that I had gotten the opportunity to meet your dad. Yeah. All right, let's move on from that. And uh, do you want to answer this one or no? Um, do you see it? No. Okay. Paul seems to recontextualize the Old Testament. Oh, New Testament. So as well yeah. as the gospel yeah. authors. If so, how should we understand their hermeneutic? And are we allowed to reappropriate texts to fit our agendas? It could it could be due to misreading. Uh, it could be due to a misreading of Paul, where the line is has left me confused. He says. Yeah. Okay. Well, th- this is more. So complicated. Let, let me set it up, and you knock it down. Paul often uses or references Old Testament texts as well as other New Testament authors do, but mm. particularly with Paul. I think particularly with Paul, uh, it sometimes is difficult for some people to see how he is making the application that he's making from the Old Testament. In other words, you would be forgiven for not reading the Old Testament passage and seeing what Paul saw there. Uh, So there you go. Yeah, so we actually dedicate a whole course to this. So maybe uh, I'll give a brief answer today. And then because this is interesting, maybe we'll burn a whole show next season on New Testament use of the Old Testament. You get to teach some of your highlights. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, so yeah, the whole next season. (laughs) I had this season. Yeah. So what's really awesome about this is um, the there's there's a multiple view. Some people think that they're basically uh, taking kind of an atomistic approach um, to the New Testament. You know, picking something out of context uh, and applying it to something else. but I don't think anyone in New Testament scholarship holds that view anymore. Basically, what you have is you have them, uh, a, a text will say doesn't mean what it never meant, okay? But there is a sense in which a text can mean something in the Old Testament, but have a fuller meaning in the New Testament that was always in view, it just has a different referent. So it has a single meaning, but has a different referent. And Maybe what the, that wasn't re, there wasn't enough revelation yet. Right, and what you're finding is what you're finding is there's there's a, a, a at best an explicit prophecy about Jesus at at but even in the least what you have is that you have a thematic connection between the single meaning of that text in its Old Testament context and a separate referent that it has in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit inspired the, the, the apostles. Can we exegete the text like that? No, um, because we want to know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So we have outlined the seven rules of Hillel. We've outlined, you know, what is Pesher interpretation? What, you know, what is a literal approach? What is what is allegorical? What 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 were these different methods of Second Temple exegesis? Okay, and we find that the New Testament authors used them quite a bit. Okay. Uh, so, for for example, in Acts uh, chapter 2, Peter quotes from Joel, and he says, that is this. That's a Pesher interpretation. Mm. Um, Jesus uses something similar in John 6, 44 and 45, where he quotes, they've all been taught. Like, he's saying, that is this right now hearing from me. You know. So, you've got, you've got uh, kind of a spectrum. So, what we do, what's normally understood as text, uh, historical, grammatical, historical hermeneutics or historical criticism, if you're on the liberal side or whatever. But what we want to do is we want to find out what did the original author mean. So in order to do that, we have to, that's our hermeneutic. So in order to do that, we have to not only understand what he said in his context, but what he was doing, like Paul or Peter, or what were they doing with these texts? And what we find is that they very much align with these different approaches of exegesis that you find common in the Second Temple era. They're products of their time too. Now, in order for we, us to know that, we have to know what they were doing, to know what it meant. But that's a different thing than saying, okay, we can go to the New Testament or the Old Testament and find what we want there and apply it to... So, we can't do it what they were doing, but we need to know what they were doing. Um, an example of why we can't do it 
is if you find the locusts in Revelation to be Apache helicopters, right? right? That's like, that's a character, but that's like an example of why we shouldn't be doing what right. they were doing using their, their methods. Locust, face like a man. Yeah. Right? <laughs> what we want to do is we want to know what they were doing so we can understand what they meant. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to take text and make them mean things that they never did. Um, there's more that can be said about it. But do you think, since you teach a class on yeah. this, do you think it's relevant that in Luke 24, 44, Jesus said to the disciples, he says, these are the words I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Mm-hmm. I, I used, when I was a teenager, I thought that meant, because I read myself into every passage. Right. Oh, he's opened my eyes. Like unbelievers, non-saved people don't see what I see when I read the scriptures. But but later on, obviously, I realized I'm that's not I wasn't standing there. <laughs> so right. so he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I now take to mean and correct me if I'm wrong. He gave them a special ability or gift. Uh, obviously writing on the back of their understanding of their culture and uh, the Old Testament scriptures that were already that was already there in their head. Yeah. But he gave them an ability. He literally did something to them. Yeah. He opened their eyes to see things that we can't see and probably won't be able to see um, because they were the, you know, these were the apostles. Sure, and there's ultimately. two, yeah. Uh, it's kind of like I the think Spirit Paul will guide you into too. all truth and you see yourself, well, the Spirit will mm-hmm. guide me into all truth. No. <laughs> you know, right. But right. What, you weren't there either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. uh, but what I what I see there, there's two different things. Now, we all know about type and Christophanies and everything else, you know, in the Old Testament that foreshadowed Jesus, uh, things in the ceremonial law that foreshadowed Jesus and all that. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I think he's referring to, mm-hmm. but showing how that relates to him. And the author of Hebrews really does a number on this. Yeah, But there's also the big picture, the story of Israel that you have in uh, Moses and the prophets and the writings, right? Um, the, the full story of Israel is lived again through Jesus. I think the gospel authors make that explicit. Well, sure. And the, so, the covenants so, but, but, yeah. all point towards right. Jesus. So Jesus lives the life of Israel without sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the whole story of Israel summed up in Jesus' life in the gospel. So, yeah, there, there's a definite sense that within those stories, you can find Jesus there. And then also the overarching narrative you find that lived in Jesus' life, but without idolatry and sin. Do you so, think it's, do you think that's, that's what's what going he, on here? Yes, that's absolutely what okay. I think is going on there. It, right. But I, you know, there is a sense, I do agree with Mark Nanos, who's a Jewish biblical scholar. Coolest um, name ever. Huh? That's the coolest name yeah, ever. Yeah, he's, but he's, he's not a Christian. Um, oh. But I do think there is a sense in which he does say, okay, first century Jews ought to be cut a little bit of slack for not it not always being obvious. Oh, right? sure. And I think that's a fair statement because if it wasn't fair, then Jesus wouldn't have to, what's wrong with you to the disciples? You know, he wouldn't have to open their minds to explain right, right. this more clearly, uh, how his death and resurrection fits into that. Um, Yet at so, the same time. So I am a little bit sympathetic with that. I am too. But, but at, the, at the same time, we yeah. also need to appreciate yeah. the people, both Jew and Gentile, who were true God worshipers who, while they may not have understood with specificity the nature of the Messiah or uh, what was going to happen with the temple and all those kind of things, they they did know enough to know that what these other guys, these yeah. scribes and Pharisees are peddling, that's bunk. Yeah. For a good primer book, there's a three views on New Testament use of the Old Testament in Zondervan's Counterpoint series. Mm-hmm. It's actually a really good primer for this. Uh, those books are really helpful for that. If you're interested in the debate, I agree with Daryl Bach's entry the most. Um I do believe that there's a single meaning, but there's multiple reference and contexts for those meanings and what the New Testament authors were doing. Um, I don't agree with Peter N's chapter, and I uh, I find some points that Walter Kaiser makes in that book pretty good, but overall, I, I, I haven't read that one yet. I think I think Bach is right. That's a good book to get in, to get into this. We'll. Uh, hopefully, either next season or whatever, we can we can explore. It's really fascinating. We can look at some more examples of stuff. Maybe I'll use the laptop. For, uh, yeah, yeah. Sit here so yeah, that's a good can. idea. But yeah, so th- basically, um, that's my approach to it. Th- this idea that 
they were just gratuitous proof texters grabbing a random sentence because it happened to fit what they wanted to say and say, mm -hmm. see, it's the Bible. You know, that's not what they were doing. They weren't atomists. Okay. Um, you know? All right. And by atomists, I mean just taking a micro sentence. Here's a fun, here's a fun one. Yeah. This is kind of like the snake one, yeah, the okay. serpent speaking. Is God wrong for allowing the angels to fall without any hope of salvation? Well, if no, <laughs> God's not wrong. Well, first of all, first of all, I don't know how or why we would think that He would be wrong. You know, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like I hate to always go back to this, but it's kind of yeah. like in the soteriology debates when we point out the underlying determinism that you know thoughtful Calvinists admit there is a determinism there, even if it's compatibilism, uh, and we say that doesn't seem like. God exactly the way I understand him because um, these people, even if you want to frame it up in the most hospitable way, these were determined to salvation. These were irresistibly graced. These were merely passed over without any Okay, that's a different thing than what they'll often throw back at me, which is what they'll throw back at me or you or flowers is they'll throw back and say, well, you, you believe in the same sort of God because he allows people, he creates people that, and allows them to go to hell that he knew would go to hell before he ever created them. That's just too cool. He fallacy, the, but the, yeah, well, it is. Yeah, you're, it's the yo mama fallacy saying <laughs> saying you got the same problem we got. It's no, not answering it's, the question. No but we don't have the same problem, and the reason we don't have the same problem is because the free will is what makes that, in my opinion, just. Because right. it's there's a difference between God knowing what they will freely, truly freely, on a libertarian sense, libertarianism being the ability to do other than whatever you ended up doing. Uh, you didn't have to do that. There, there, that makes it just. Whereas, if on the other hand there was no sense of freedom, this was all just gonna happen the way it was without any free will on your side. Yeah. And really, ultimately, everything that you do, and 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 I know I'm gonna get the messages that well, that's not really Calvinism, and that's and there this you're and talking that. about Calvinism again. Yeah, you always talk. About yeah, Calvinism. always talk about Calvinism. <laughs> but the thing, well, we're wrapping up the season, and this season yeah. did include some Calvinism. All right, so, uh, but the, but but that, if there is no libertarian freedom, then it was all determined by God. Yeah. Okay. And if free will exists, then even if God knew that you would make the wrong decision, he's just because he, he really did. It was a bona fide offer for you to choose other than what you ended up choosing, right. which makes it just and somewhat different. Now let's go to the angels. The angels, I contend, had libertarian free will. I now do they too. did not have the divine hiddenness that we have, meaning that if someone wants to be an atheist, they can convince themselves of atheism because they don't have God like in front of them in the mm -hmm. sense that the angels had God right in front of them. Right. There's a hiddenness there. Uh, the angels did not have that, which, frankly, I think might make up for the lack of a possibility of salvation yeah. because they had a more of a certainty. They had certainty on a level that humans do not have visual certainty to the degree that if you're walking out now when you have this literally proof in front of you, right. then, you know. Well, and here's the thing, okay? Um, what mechanism could actually save them? Um, because we know from Christian theology and salvation of man, number one, angels can do lots of cool things that we can't do. But you know what they're not? They're not made in the image of God. Human beings are made in the image of God. We're yeah. to be his representatives here. We're the icons of the temple, so forth. Um so, what's necessary for God to forgive for anything is to bear that same punishment himself. So God has to become a man in order to die on behalf of men mm -hmm. and women, right? Mm -hmm. He has become human to die for humans mm -hmm. and to satisfy the, the payment that's owed for that transgression, right? Um, there's no mechanism... Uh, for for angels, for an image to to be you know, for God to become an angel, to vicariously sacrifice on behalf of angels. There's no mechanism. There's no pathway for that. So I, in addition to everything you said, I absolutely agree with. Um, they had every reason not to rebel. They had every reason to continue to be loyal yeah. servants of Yahweh, and they and this do is it one in of space. the but but. But this is one of the great values in the Milton right. book that you made me read, um, Paradise Lost, is while there's a bunch of you know bunk in there or whatever, it's all speculative and poetic. It's still and wonderful. That, it's still beautifully written. Yeah. And one of the things that happens is immediately after 
uh, all of the angels fall and end up, um, uh, you know, in this in this hellish place, you know, trying yes. to figure out what to do next. There's an argument there. They they don't, if I remember correctly, they don't see how if they go wreck humanity, they don't see how God could fix that. Right. Because they can't fathom God incarnate as a man. They can't imagine that actually taking place. And there is a good discussion about we are utterly lost because we saw it for what it was and rebelled. Exactly what we've been saying. and, 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 And also, you know, I think there's some validity to that make-believe scenario, and here's why. Because the Scripture does tell us that the angels long to see into these things, what, yeah. what this is all about, what this program yeah. of religion is all about. They do what they're told, but what's all this about? Um, I don't I don't see why demons would have any reason to not think differently and say, right. well, I don't see how that this, they, you know, right. we'll just go wreak havoc. Yeah. Uh, so I'm fine with that kind of speculative. Sure. Speculative theology is actually pretty cool as long as you do it within, yeah. uh, within at least some sort of... Yeah, orthodoxy. you try to ground it in something. But... but um, there's no there's no mechanism for God to satisfy that for them because they're not his image bearers. And so I don't there's also a sense that God loves you. That'd humanity. be a whole good topic because yeah. we don't know God of a mechanism. Lo- right. And but God, could there be But I we also know that God yeah. loves humans more than he loves angels. <laughs> we no, I'm serious. Yeah. He has to. Yeah. Because he provided redemption for for them. Uh, for humans. He did not provide redemption for angels. And I don't know how that he would do that because it makes sense for Jesus to become man, to take the penalty for man, because men were the image bearers. But but I, I don't but, think he was less, I don't, I, what, what I'm contending, having never thought about this much before, yeah. is I don't think he's less merciful toward the angels than he is humans because I think the mercy he gave them was the amount of, like I said, visual certainty so that the falling away was less of a likelihood from the jump. Yeah. Like, and I, I remember as a kid talking to my dad about angels and he's like, I think it'd be kind of cool to be an angel. And I do too. I think it'd be kind of cool. I wouldn't think that it was, you know, that I got the raw end of the stick to be an angel. You're right. We're the image bearers. Mm -hmm. And so there's an impressive thing there, but I think the benefit to the angels is the degree of certainty they had. The benefit to human beings is the grace that we, that we have. So, you know, I think it. So is d- simple answer. But we have no text. Is God yet. fair? Yes. Yes, He's fair. And God doesn't have to hold His hands out all day long for uh, rebellious angels, like He does right. for people, like for right. for Israel. And He's He doesn't have to do, to do it for right. us, right? But He does. Right. He's Which a good is why God. He loves us more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, angels. There's some angels listening that are upset. <laughs> right. Now nah, they get it. <laughs> They're like, yeah, but we can do all kinds of cool stuff you can't do. So you know, so they they have their. Okay, uh, we got to move quicker, more quickly than this. Um, what benefit is free will? What downfalls come with free will? Is there any truth to this statement by C.S. Lewis? Quote, why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. That's why C.S. Lewis is smart. I agree with every word he said. Me too. <laughs> but at the same time, I would love to, I would love for determinism to be true. Yeah, there's because, a downfall. Yeah, there is a downfall. I'd love for because I wouldn't be responsible for anything. And I know Calvinists are screaming now. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Leighton Flowers had a, had a show, uh, an episode a while ago called... Do, well, you're studying your opinion. Yeah. Do Calvinists believe that uh, people are puppets? And of course they don't. I don't think that's a straw man. I don't think that's a caricature. I am still waiting for an argument that doesn't result in... You know, it's Pinocchio, who's a real boy, but still has... The strings. Well, so see, now you said there, because in the Bignon book yeah. that just came out that everybody's screaming about all of a sudden, um, thinking it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, and David frankly, I think it, and, and, well, I think I like that book. Yeah, it's a good book. I thought that he did a, as fair a job, as good a job of explaining compatibilism as a Calvinist fairly that I could imagine. Now, what he will say about the puppet thing is, and you kind of responded in your Pinocchio thing is, yeah. he'll say, you're not like a puppet. Because a puppet has no conscious awareness. A puppet has no will, whether that will 
is determined right. by and previous events or not. This is okay. So everyone. Uh, but what he ends up saying, mm-hmm. since I read the book not too long ago, is because he goes through like a like a like a puppet, like a, a pet. You know, where you can manipulate a pet. Is it manipulation? I have a is PhD it coercion? And I don't understand it, analogies. It's all I'm hearing you say from this man who has a PhD and he no, doesn't understand. But here, analogies. but here's the yeah. thing: for those, well, that of might, course, nobody's saying it's a piece of wood. A, but for people, amateur hour. But, but for people who read that book, notice this as you read through it is my recommendation: is he admits, I think, but if he doesn't admit, I saw yeah. that all these little analogies that he's pointing to, there is something that is underneath all of those that is why those all seem to sing for non-Calvinists. And yeah, you can point to the differences. I mean, he says in the book, you can't show me what is the relevant thing that stands behind all these. I can tell you what the relevant thing that stands yeah. behind all those things is. The relevant thing that stands behind all of those things is that your choices on compatibilism are ultimately a part of a causal chain that stretches yeah. back ultimately to God who determined what those choices would be. It is in that way that it seems like a puppet. It is in that way that it seems like right. a pet that's been manipulated. So it's in that way that it feels like coercion. And like with coercion, he says, well, it's not, I haven't gotten to go off about this, but it, 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 he, he says, well, coercion is like when you force someone at gunpoint to believe something and you're not forced at gunpoint. You're irresistibly uh, drawn, and it, it's you that decides to do it. Yes, but it's like coercion in the sense that you're ultimately doing what someone outside of yourself willed that you would will to right. do. Now, like I said, I'm not as impressed with this book as you because it, the point of analogies is over here, and he's like, mm. I'm not impressed yeah. with that part of the book. That's amateur hour. Okay, we, no, I'm impressed with but hard determinism is Pinocchio. Uh, before he's a real boy with strings, compatibilism, I still have yet to get a satisfactory answer what the difference is, but okay, he's a real boy with strings. Strings either way, puppets either way, I'm not going to stop using puppet, robot, whatever. Number one, I know that it irritates him, so I like that. It's fun. But number two, because I haven't heard a meaningful response to how it's not like that, how determinism is not ultimately like that. He gives you a good response. I don't know if it's a meaningful response, but it is good in that, if nothing else, (laughs) I'm impressed with how he dances through that thing. That field of tulips. I mean, that is that yeah. is a. Uh, but it's later in the book is what I'm more impressed with, which yeah. is his willingness in that book to look it square in the face and say, "Yes, compatibilism is determinism," and no, you you you. I, I want to phrase it the way he phrases it, but it's no, you would not. There is no ultimate way you you would have done other than you ended up doing. But his ultimate analogy is he says something like. Okay, if a man is commanded by God to hug yeah. someone else and he has no arms, then it, then it, he's, he's not responsible for not hugging because if he had been determined to do it he, or something, he couldn't have done it because he had no arms. But if he had arms, even though he's been determined through the causal chain not to hug, but he's commanded to hug somebody else, and he doesn't do it, even though, he, and he's got arms, even though he was determined not to hug them by a causal chain stretching back to God, such that there, there, we don't have a world where that would have happened. Mm-hmm. He's now responsible because if God had determined him to hug him, he had the arms to do it. Now, to my mind, that what's the difference? If you don't have arms, or if you have them, but you're determined not to hug someone by God, in no realistic situation are you going to end up hugging that person commanded that you're commanded to But because him. arms exist on your body now it's now you're responsible Why because you could have <laughs> Well that's what I say you could have in a sense Oh you yeah. could have in the sense that if God had determined you to you could have Let me three points one I love Calvinists If I misrepresented you Bignon, forgive me two cuz I like it I'm going to keep using it number one because it or a because it irritates you and b because I haven't heard a good explanation of why it's not the case and three the downside to free will is you have it and you can misuse it. And that is it the would downside. Be, it would be great if determinism was true, especially if I was one of the, the, the elect. In that sense. Yeah. And so that all my sin, well, I mean, I was determined to do it. but I'm Everything still, would I'm taste saved, like flavorless yeah. steak if that were true. Yeah. There would be nothing... But at the same time, I wouldn't be responsible. I, mean, I could just say anything bad that I did. Well, I was it was determined. So, but I'm still if I was one of the elect. Uh, 
So what what benefit is free will? Well, the benefit of free will is like Mm -hmm. Lewis said, you get real love, you get real friendship, you get real sacrifice. The sacrifice is necessary for the love. Uh, I believe that's why there was trees in the garden. But uh, ultimately, um, the downside downside is you can misuse it. And every ounce, in my opinion, of evil in the cosmos can be traceable back to the misuse of free will. Yes. And I also believe that there's an upside to determinism. You're not responsible for anything. <laughs> That's an yeah. upside to some people. Right? Um, how does free will and end times prophecy coexist and work with each other? Um, simple answer. God can do what he wants in spite of your free will. God can ultimately say, in the end, here's what's going to happen. Now, in terms of the prophecy, I, this is where people have trouble understanding what you and I have repeatedly said for a long, long, long time. And I don't... I, well, no. I understand why there's confusion about this, but let me walk you through an example here. Let's forget end times. Let's talk about Jesus. Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him, right? Three times. The question then becomes, could Peter then have not denied him? Did he have free will not to deny him, given that Jesus predicted it? My answer is yes, he could have not denied him. But if he had not denied him, then God from eternity would have known that instead, and Jesus would have predicted otherwise. Yeah. But let's now ask- pause for a second the video or the audio and think that through before you start telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about. I've spent a, quite a bit of time thinking this through, and I didn't really have to because pretty early on, that just clicked for me. Yeah. God knows the future. It's not... It's not the other way around. Well, let's ask the bro-down question. Okay. The bro-down question is, and yeah, you can apply that same thing to all of prophecy, right? Right. God predicts what he knows. Yeah. Uh, okay. But, but, <laughs> and if this guy is willfully not giving the prophecy God wants, there are other people but not only who willfully did, did will. Jesus, not only Jesus from, you know, the divine nature of Jesus from eternity past know that Peter would do it, he also knew that he would tell Peter that he would do it. And what the bro-down question is, if Jesus hadn't mentioned what he knew that Peter would have done, would Peter have still done it? The answer is no, because that would make Jesus the cause of Peter's sin. But uh, it is, uh, you know. Yeah, I don't think that, I think Jesus was mentioning what God knew would happen. And I get what you're saying. Jesus' prediction itself serves as a variable in the equation. Right. that, That may or may not push it in one direction or the other. I think in that case, no. I don't think that it did that. I think God predicted what he knew Peter would have done. Uh, Jesus predicted what he knew Peter would have done. And I think had that prediction not come, Peter still would have done what he did. Yeah. But he didn't have to. No. That's the point. Am I wrong? No, I agree. Okay. All right. I don't I don't think that, that, that predicting anything is causal. Right. I predict my kids. Well, it can be. I don't know. I predict my kids' behaviors all the time. It can be time. influential. Yeah, it could be influenced, but I don't think influences is causation. I think influences are influences. Right. Um, I won't cause you to eat, like, what's something you like to eat? Like, if it's chicken tenders yeah. upstairs for lunch, and you don't know that, and I say, mm-hmm. I predict you will eat the chicken tenders that are upstairs today for lunch. I didn't cause you. I, you may not eat it. Right. But if you do, you were certainly influenced by my prediction, because at the very least, it informed you that, <laughs> that there were chicken tenders. Right? Yeah, but I also get informed by... Michelle about the right, 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 right. But but the thing for me is, I predict my kids' behavior all the time, and I'm not Mm -hmm. causing them to do. I wish determinism was true, where I could like determine my kids not to do the things that they do. Yes, you know. But sadly, uh, that's not the case. Okay, one last question in the questions and answers in the finders uh, section is a necessary component of the conditional immortality view of hell. By the way, for those that don't know, we have an episode on this. Pause here. Go watch the conditional immortality, uh, well, the hell episodes, mm-hmm. the first and second of the hell episodes, because there's a view of hell that is called annihilationism casually and conditional immortality formally. And what it ultimately holds is that you will not experience eternal conscious suffering in hell, but you will, some views say that you will suffer commensurate to your crimes and then cease to exist, die, mm-hmm. perish, be destroyed. Um, or some just say you'll die and you'll be dead, and that's the end. Uh, and so the person wants to know, is it a necessary condition, of uh, component of that view that the sins of the sinner don't ultimately warrant an infinite punishment? Like, is, is, if you're going to hold that view, is it necessary that these sins don't deserve 
eternal punishment or everlasting no, punishment. No, that's not necessary. And no, it's not necessary because the conditional immortality person would say, you are going to suffer for everlastingly for that, suffer in the sense, or you will be punished everlastingly for that in the same way that someone who receives capital punishment is punished in a finite, a finished, not finite, a finished and everlasting way. And that is, they won't ever come back to life. Yeah. And I know... Ever. So it's the, everlasting the, punishment. The more I get into this whole topic, and I, I talk to, you know, we've got some friends now that are in this, Nick Quint, uh, Chris Date, who are yeah. going to be debating on July 30th live on the internet this very issue. Uh, one thing I've learned is they're fine if God wanted to do that. They're like, if that's what God wants to do, okay, they accept it. They just don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Right, right, right. So they're like, because I don't think the Bible teaches. Now, they, they, don't, they don't shy away from saying, yeah, there is a, 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 uh, a part of this that makes it, you know, in, a, in some sense more just or more palatable to people, whatever. Um, and they don't deny that in evangelism. They say there's an upside in evangelism because when people say, well, how can I believe in a God that'll torture people for all eternity? And they're like, right. well, that's not really... So they say God is still just and merciful and all that aspect. They don't deny that, but they do admit, at least from my conversations, that if they thought that's what the Bible taught, eternal kind of they take it. They take it. They I don't think that, but the, they they don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I, I don't think that the uh, obviously yeah. I don't think the eternal conscious suffering position does any damage to God's justice. Mm -hmm. I do see how the conditional immortality view, from our perspective, seems to contribute an aspect of mercy that seems in line with God, um, that they just cease to exist. Uh, yeah, and, they die. and after a period of punishment. I mean, right, right. And in fact, while eternal conscious torment people are running from the idea of flames and all this stuff. Uh, I've heard Chris Dayton in his debate with Phil Hernandez. He said, yeah, it's a violent <laughs> annihilation. By the way, speaking you of know? Chris Day, yeah. I get to submit a quote or a statement about his new book. Oh, I do too. That is a debate. Oh, you do too? Mm -hmm. Well, good. I'm really glad. Trinity and unlike Radio him, will well I will read the book. I will read the book. <laughs> I will read the book. I've read 31 books this year. Now, I've it's been 31 for two months now, <laughs> but, but I, I will read the book, okay? Um, okay. I was just making a joke. I what what we learned from the Wyman series, let's wrap this up, and let's not let's not drone on too much about this. I have some things down here. Is there anything in particular that stands out to you? Well, I had a world religions class and a marginal cults class in my previous education, two classes. This is your wheelhouse. This was never my wheelhouse. So in the prep and stuff, I freely admit that I was at a disadvantage in knowing. And I will be next season do. if we do your stuff. Yeah, um, I like you knowing stuff and people thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, no, you're the president. But but um, no. So I learned a great deal and um, how I think through how tr traditional orthodoxy would respond to certain cults. Um, but I but learning some of the, the weird history behind these mm -hmm. was uh, some of those details that you bring out, which you're always good at bringing these little hooks to it. I didn't know. Well, good. Cool. I appreciate that. I'm glad to hear that. And it makes you have to go learn so you can say something that doesn't sound completely right. Nice. Yeah. Cause even to comment, right. you have to say, okay, here's, here's some things that I've learned. First of all, we have no idea what most people want to hear us talk about on this program. I learned that because as we speak, the Jehovah's Witness episode, which is the most recent one from last week, has outshined all the others for the whole season that have been sitting there yeah, like four to all one. season. Yeah, I, what? Like, <laughs> what? I have no idea why that one blew past all the others. When we've done Calvinism, we've done Mormonism, we've done Scientology. Now, Scientology and Mormonism did really good, and the Calvinism one. But, but why? <laughs> why the Jehovah's Witness one? I don't know what you folks want to hear, so that surprised me. Uh, people involved in cults, I found, tend to borrow capital from religion in general. Mm -hmm. So with the Scientology episode, with the Mormon episode, with the Jehovah's Witness episode, you hear sometimes people talking about why they believe what they believe, and part of it will often be, well, you know, I mean, religion, people don't want to believe religion because blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. We're not talking about religion in general. We're talking about your particular view that is very, very different from Orthodox Christianity. So... 
It's you don't get to just claim religion in general and talk about it. That can be a part of your thing. But no, no, you believe some things that are so different from if you're a cult of Christianity from what Orthodox Christianity affirms that even other religious people, other Christians think that that needs to be addressed and is unacceptable for whatever reason. And skeptics certainly believe that. So you, so I found, I found cult, people of cults and people of other religions to borrow from the, the hate for religion in general that is often directed toward maybe Islam or Christianity and, or Judaism and apply that to their cult like, like they have as good a footing as we do. Yeah, I learned that um, recently converted to Catholicism, girls on the internet can sound cheery when talking about why they want to kill babies. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> in this court of internet justice, I will allow it because honestly, that's the one issue uh, yeah. abortion where we we take the gloves off. And and but uh, in a different uh, way, I think that I also learned that a, a lot of these people who get on the internet and say why they're this, why they're that, pretty friendly. Yeah, we've tried, yeah. and I hope this has come through, not to be too directly aggressive toward individuals, but toward tried. the views. No, you have. You've been talking about the to views. To some of them. And all the people. But I the, haven't been, no, I, I wasn't nice to the Jehovah's Witnesses, and my, my wife did actually think I'm a little overboard on that, um, and I wasn't nice to Mormons, but I explained why in the Jehovah's Witnesses. No, no, Witness. no. Yeah. You, you may ha that may be true, but what you did specifically say you were talking about the worldview and not the individual on that episode. Yeah. So, um, but, but here's the reason. We think these worldviews are dangerous, toxic, yeah. and whatever view of hell you affirm can lead people there. Uh, so, so we are not going to sugarcoat about the worldview, but toward the individuals. Yeah. We've met some nice people virtually, uh, yeah. through this thing. And, and we love those people. And a lot of those people are smart people. We just think they're wrong about this and wrong in a way that matters. Um, I found that atheists and agnostics often think their understanding... They're the meanest. They're the worst. Well, they often think their understanding of the Bible is the only possible interpretation. <laughs> that, that they will yeah, admit oftentimes, we're not Bible scholars. We're not like you people who study the Bible all the time. But then they'll be like, no, the Bible teaches six-day creation. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. Or they'll say... Um, no, the Bible teaches eternal conscious suffering, or the Bible uh, teaches that if you just put Jesus' name on the end of a prayer, you get whatever you want. You know, these kind of things, it's like, um, I don't know where you got some of that stuff, but Christians debate about some of this stuff. And some of this stuff, like putting Jesus' name on the end of a prayer, I don't know any Christians that affirm that right. who, who have like thought about it. Yeah. Um, so I found that atheists and agnostics do that. I found that more people than you think actually want answers. This is the other side of that. Um, in the even in the YouTube comment stream, YouTube is the wild west. It's far worse than Facebook yeah. in terms of the aggression. Well, I don't of read the it. Comments. Sorry, but Trinity Radio Prime Time is where I talk. But uh, yeah, Polo. but YouTube even in the YouTube comments, yeah. we get genuine questions. I, even in the Jehovah's Witness episode, I got some genuine questions. The guy's like, "Hey, look, you Trinitarians, tell me what you think about this. I don't get this. How I many?" And I answered, and he's like. Okay, and even liked the video, so or liked the uh, my comment. So there are people that want real answers, and we've seen at least one person come to Christ during this whole thing. So so there are people out there that want real answers. So for those people that want to denigrate apologetics as just people arguing and arguing and arguing in an argumentative oh, that's way, that's not what it has to be. No, and and it's not that for us. Mm -hmm. um, with opposing religions and cults, feeling like subjective conscious experience is overemphasized while with atheists and agnostics, it is underemphasized. I think mm -hmm. you see what I mean? Yeah. I thought you'd really like that one yeah. because I think a lot of these go like burning in the bosom, like you just go out in the woods and yeah, think feeling about it. And experience. Yeah. And, and I don't ever, you know, like we said, we can always account for, for those things. Um, and I, I always tell people that Christianity, you will have experiences too. You need to test them by scripture and truth and reason yeah. and that though. You can't be over you you can't be out of balance with those kinds yeah. of things. And, and now don't get me wrong, there are a lot of dry as dust Christians. Mm -hmm. They're dry as dust. There's you know, whatever. They don't have any sort of experiential uh relational type walk uh with Christ and with the church. Um that happens too. Mm -hmm. And they could use a little bit more experience, you know, especially Especially, I find that I'm not trying to pick, but cessationists often fit this kind of thing. Um, but not all. But at the same time, this over 
indulgence and over-reliance on experience to, to tell you what is true is... Yeah, it's it's an overemphasis on it among cults and false religions yeah. and an underemphasis from atheists and agnostics, I think. Um, and lastly, I have here the heart of all of this. This is the most important thing I've learned is that with other worldviews, whether it's atheism, agnosticism, Islam, uh, any of the cults, all of that, the heart of all of this is that there is a misunderstanding of God and the person of Jesus. Uh, think back to the episode, uh, I think the third or fourth one we did in the series about um, uh, is God actually the devil? You know, the guy with the blonde hair and the makeup and all that. Oh, that guy. And, and he, yeah, I didn't like I wasn't nice about him. Well, there, you're right. And there were several people like that that either we did a video about or uh, in studying for this we found. And they, they could not rationalize how God was just and merciful and all that right. in light of Old Testament stuff and, and, and in light of hell and in light of these kind of things. And so, um, you know, I, I think they misunderstand God. And yeah. if they had an understanding of God, I hope they get that from this episode. I give, uh, I, and I, and, and to that point, you know, uh, a valiant effort by Greg Boyd to try to reinterpret those texts, but he doesn't succeed. Yeah, just listen um, to the episode. All you need is the episode yeah. we did. That's all. So these reinterpretations of those old texts, you know, they're there. Uh, but God is just. God is merciful. Solves problem. You don't have to yeah. re-exegete them. You don't have to make them mean things they never did. But with the cults and the yeah. false religions, they not only get either the nature of God wrong, God the Father, or... Jesus wrong. And as we've repeatedly said, if you're wrong about Jesus, it doesn't matter what you're right about. Amen. And that brings us to the end of not only this episode, but this season of mm. Trinity Radio. It'll be a whole week before season nine begins. <laughs> and that's going to allow us time to rest and reconsider. And How is that uh, different from last week? In the words of Paul Hewson, <laughs> go away and dream it all up again. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, so I hope you've enjoyed this season. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, bonus episode coming for patrons. We're late again on that, but uh, we, we will um, we'll have that soon. Yeah. And uh, so there's, if you want to check more out Trinity Radio said, between now and next season, which is there's no difference. Oh, and I made a Wyma playlist on the YouTube channel. Oh, you so go. you can just click it and just it'll play on through. But if you want more Trinity Radio, if you're not getting enough, you can always become a patron and get an extra episode every month. When we're okay. Um, we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. If you would like more content, click here and keep watching Bible studies. Click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.